Uh, in the New Testament, uh, we're going to look at, first of all, Ephesians chapter 1, and then we're going to launch around to some de several different passages this morning. We are going to begin, a, uh, over the next several weeks and several months, a, uh, a focus on the church, on the doctrine of the church. What is the church, and more specifically, what is the church supposed to be doing? And what is my role, what is your role as an individual member of this church? What, what is that all about? Well, coming soon, first of all, on Sunday nights, once we, once we finish up with our study on Judges, we've got a few more uh, chapters to go there. But on Sunday nights here in the near future, we're going to be doing a study uh, through a very small book called I Am a Church Member. And this is written by Tom Rayner. He's president of Lifeway a former dean at Southern Seminary, and it talks about uh, the privileges and the responsibilities of being a church member. And so we're going to be looking at that. It's going to be beneficial for both newer members and also for long-time members to remind ourselves, what am I supposed to do now that I am a church member? What does that mean? So that's going to be on Sunday nights, but on Sunday mornings starting today, we're going to be doing a new sermon series called The Church Acting with Purpose. And I chose the word act because what we're going to do primarily is be going through the book of Acts, looking at how the church functioned. What did the church focus on? What made the early church so successful at reaching the lost? Now, this is going to be a little different than my normal expository sermon series. You know, usually we pick a book of the Bible or a section and walk through it verse by verse because I think that's the most beneficial way of preaching. I think that's the way the early audience received these documents. They didn't see, receive scattered verses here and there. They received letters. They received entire books, and that's how they read it, and that's how they studied it, and I think that's the way we should do it primarily as well. But I think there are times where it's good for us to look at different doctrines that are mentioned sporadically throughout the pages of Scripture. And that's what we're going to be doing looking at the doctrine of the church. And I was amazed last week as Rhonda shared what was on her heart, how much that what God had given her to say, how much it perfectly builds a bridge to where we're going to be going here in the next few weeks. And I shouldn't be surprised uh, that God does that, uh, but it is a further, um, uh, a further uh, inclination as to this is really where God wants us to go in our focus on Sunday mornings. As she shared last week, our church is growing. Now, we can point to objective numbers as far as attendance, worship attendance, Sunday school, baptisms, uh, new church members through, through moving membership and so forth, we can point to objective things to show that we are growing. We can also subjectively sense that we as a church body, are, that we are growing spiritually, that our faith is deepening, that our commitment and our affection for one another is growing. These are subjective things that we can't really put a number on, but yet our church is growing. This are, these are reasons for us to celebrate, but I do want to caution us not to let up. Just because things are going well, we should not just all of a sudden kick it in cruise control. 
which, by the way, I was instructing Logan about cruise control the other day. I, and he was like, what is that? And I said, well, you just push this button and it keeps you going this same speed. As a church, let's not hit cruise control. God is moving us forward. And so I want to challenge you with a couple of questions this morning. First of all, we are growing, yes, but are we as successful as we could be? Are we as strong, are we as successful in ministry as we should be? There is always room to improve. There is always room to, to sharpen. There, are all, there is always space for us to do things a little closer to what God would have us to do. The sobering reality, statistics show us that 80% of all churches in North America are either plateaued or dying. Eight out of every ten churches in North America either are not growing, they're just maintaining the status quo, or they are declining and dying. Eight out of every ten. And so I believe primarily the reasons for this are spiritual. But there are some practical things that these churches are not doing that perhaps if they did, maybe just maybe they could turn the ship around. I ran across some uh, reasons for the, the ineffectiveness of the local church in North America today and see if any of these sound familiar to you. Those who have been around church at any, at any period of time, for any length of time, maybe you will recognize some of these. Maybe if not in our church, maybe in other churches perhaps that you have been a part of. Number one, drifting day to day. A lack of a clear focus, a firefighting mentality, just dealing with the pressing matters at hand and not really thinking long term. Secondly, unprepared for explosive growth. It's a lack of space, a lack of leadership, a lack of funds. Now, I've shared with you before, the Census Bureau tells us within five miles of our church, there are over 5,500 people living. And if 1% of those folks decided they were going to come to Ephesus next week, 1%, 55 people, could our church handle that? You know, imagine our church right now and, and cram 55 more people in here. 55 more cars in the parking lot. 55 more people in our Sunday school. Would we be prepared to handle such growth? Most churches aren't. Thirdly, no clear context for decision-making. Paralyzing indecision. What do we do next? Can we do this? Should we do this? What are the steps? What, what hoops do we have to jump through to make this reality? God may be leading us towards something, but how do we make that happen? Fourthly, no leadership training. Existing leadership is overloaded. You know, most churches run on that 80-20 rule. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the giving is done by 20% of the people and so forth. Is that the case here? I, I don't know, but we see that in a lot of churches. Fifthly, a lack of a clearly unified team. Got a lot of different people, all with different agendas, all pulling in different directions. This one here saying, we need to focus on this. and This one over here saying, I think we ought to focus on this. And Everybody's moving in different directions. 
Finally, number six, an unclear dream. Or I would say, dreaming too small. Limiting what we think God can do in our church. Limiting what God wants to do in our church because we don't dream big enough. Our vision of God is too small. Our vision of what God wants Ephesus to be is too small. Having a clear dream and dreaming big. I think it all begins with what we're going to look at this morning, pondering our purpose. Our purpose. What, why are we here as a church? What are we supposed to be doing? Most of us are familiar with some of the books written by Rick Warren over the last decade or so. The Purpose Driven uh, line of books. He wrote The Purpose Driven, Driven Church, Purpose Driven Youth Ministry, Purpose Driven Life. It's all about focusing on what, what are the purposes? What are we supposed to be doing? Now, some people reject what he wrote and some people fully embrace it. Well, it is true, only God can grow a church. Just because we do certain steps doesn't mean we're automatically going to see growth. Only God can bring... We might be able to grow a crowd, but are we going to grow a church? There's a difference. I do agree with that, but I do see a pattern that God chooses to use and bless individuals who are ready and prepared and are looking for God to use those individuals. And so with that, I want us to focus on pondering our purpose this morning. Before we get into the Word of God, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we come together this morning. We are a group of individuals, various households and families. Father, all with different experiences and backgrounds, all with different things going on in our lives, different stages of life. But Lord, we are all here in this room this morning and we ask why? Why? Why does this church exist? Why am I here? Why am I a part of this? God, what are you doing here? What do you want to do? Lord, these are important questions and I want us to ponder this morning. God, help us to consider these questions and help us as we open up your word to find your answers to these questions. God, help us ponder our purpose. Help us to be everything, Lord, you intend for us to be. As individual Christians, as a body of believers, Father, give us direction, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing I want us to think about is the question who and the question why. Who are we and why do we exist? Well, let's look first of all in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I asked you to turn there earlier. And, and we're going to see Paul begins this letter. And, and Ephesians, it be, it, it's, it's divided down the middle. Six chapters, first three chapters deal with doctrine. Last three chapters deal with duty. How do we respond to what Paul has written? In other words, belief and how that affects behavior. And he begins the whole entire letter by, by giving glory to God. And he talks about God the Father who has, who has called us and who has chosen us. In verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of His glory. The glory of the Father. Then we move to verse 7 and it says, uh, Speaking of Christ, in Him we have redemption. 
through his blood. And we move down to verse 12. It says, To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. The glory of the Son. Verse 13, In him also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So Paul says we give glory to the Father, we give glory to the Son, we give glory to the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity are responsible for our individual salvation. And then we come to the end of chapter 3, as he wraps up this section on, on belief, this section on doctrine, by saying in verse 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, Paul's writing to a group of believers. He's writing to a church. And by the way, everything that Paul wrote was written for an audience, a church, all the documents of the New Testament, all the Gospels were written to groups of believers. In fact, everything that's written in the Scripture is not written just for one sole individual. Everything written in the Scripture is for God's people. So that ought to tell us something. You know, God is concerned for the church. God is dealing with us, not just as an individual. Yes, He's dealing with us as we are part of His family, His church, universally he's dealing with us as we are living out our faith in our worship and our service in local general churches verse 21 says to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen so what we see here is this Ephesus exists to glorify God if we were to say, for, sum it up in one thing, why are we here? Why does Ephesus exist? Why was it ever formed? Why has it existed for 168 years, whatever the case may be now? Why? Who are we? We are Ephesus. Why do we exist? We exist to glorify who? God. That sums it all up. If what we do doesn't bring glory to God, it's wrong. If what we do brings glory to God, then that's why we're here. We're here to glorify God, folks. It's not about us. It's not about bringing glory to me. It's not about bringing glory to you. It's not about bringing glory to individual ministries or programs or this or that or bringing glory to our facilities. We bring glory to God. And everything ought to be funneling up in that direction. Ephesus exists to glorify God. Let's never lose sight of that. But the next question we ask is, well, now that we know we're supposed to glorify God, what are we supposed to do? What brings glory to God? Well, we see in the Gospel, specifically in Matthew, that Jesus gave us purposes. He gave us purposes. Matthew, uh, first of all, chapter 22. We would see our first purpose from Jesus is to obey the great commandments. Obey the great commandments. Verse, chapter 22, verse 35 through 40. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, 
Mark's Gospel adds, in all your strength. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the promises and the prophets. Jesus said, if you want to boil it all down, two things. Love God, love people. That's what I want you to do. Love God and love people. What does it mean for us? Well, as individuals, we we are to give our, our complete self to God. All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything we, we have as an individual is, is given to God. And what does that look like for us at the church? We are to be, first of all, a worshiping church where it's all given to God. Everything's done for Him. We are not to hold anything back. And, and I think about this, this group of, of people that are here in this church and, and, I, and I know some of you and some of your your life, and, and I know you all are worshiping God individually, unhindered. You worship God in the way you live. And then we come together collectively as a body of believers for a service of worship, and we can be some of the most stoic, some of the most unengaged, inactive group of people. Why is that? Now, I think sometimes we... And I've, heard, and I've had people express this to me before. Say, you know, when we, were, when we were singing that or when you said that, I just wanted to shout, amen, but I, just, I didn't know what people would think. I, I, you know, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to look like that person. And, amen, who cares? It's for God, is it not? It's for God. Now, I'm not saying we just throw all decorum out the window because that's not biblical either. But when you read the Psalms and you read uh, in, in the Old Testament narratives of, of David and how he worshipped God, and it was active, it was vibrant, and the people of Israel were, were celebrating the Lord. We ought to be a worshipping church as we love God. We're also to love people, and I think that means we ought to be a welcoming church. A welcoming church. Love our neighbor as ourselves. What does that look like for us as a church? You know, Rhonda touched on something last week that, that really spoke to me. said, our church is growing. And how does our church grow? It grows when, when people are added to our number. What kind of people are added to our number? Well, we see two different types. We see, first of all, those who are already Christians. They're already born again. They're already living for the Lord. They already love Jesus. They're already familiar with church and what, what that means and what church does. And, they, and, and God brings them to our church. And, and there's really not much we have to do as far as teaching them the essentials. And then the other type of people is people that, that are lost. People that just come into contact with the good news of Christ and their lives may not necessarily be as in order as those who are coming from other churches or are already Christians, at least the facade of having everything in order, because that's not the case. None of us have everything in order. But we kind of think, oh, they're coming from another church. You know, uh, you know there's, there's low maintenance there. You bring in somebody that's, a lost person who has been living like a lost person because they didn't know any better. You bring them into the fellowship, guess what? They're, they're bringing in with them a whole lot of, 
uh, of messiness in their life. They're bringing a whole lot of life situations that really maybe shouldn't be there. But what do we do with that? Do we condemn them? Do we shame them? Do we expect more out of them than they are ready to give at this point in time? Or do we welcome them and say, you know what, I'm going to love this person. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to condemn them. But they're coming and they officially join our church. Then, then we can begin to work with them and help, help them get to where God wants them to be. Ministry in that kind of a setting is very messy. We've got we to gotta love on people in a way that might, you might get your hands dirty, so to speak. But that's the kind of people Jesus hung out with, was it not? <laughs> that's the kind of people. He said, I came not to call the, uh, the, the, the healthy, but I came to call the sick. <laughs> and so as our church begins to grow, God is laying a foundation that maybe some of the next folks, a wave of people that come in, maybe they're going to have some struggles and issues in their life. Are we prepared to deal with that? How do we address that? You know, we welcome them. We love them. We teach them. We, we, we help them along the way. We've got to be careful not to be critical because that would be easy. That would be easy to do. Say, well, look at their life, you know. But look at our lives. <laughs> so Jesus gave us purposes. Obey the great commandments, but also fulfill the great commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Some of the last words spoken by Jesus, not the last words, we're going to get to those here in a minute. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus is the authority. What does he do with that authority? What does he tell us to do? Verse 19, Go, therefore, because of that authority, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In this, he says, first of all, make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a fully committed follower of Jesus. Not just somebody who who comes and, and sits on the sidelines and watches, not a, not a fan. Somebody who is part of the team. Somebody who is fully committed and a follower and is growing. We are to make disciples. Not just get folks saved. That's not what it says. Although that is the first step of becoming a disciple. We've got to get folks saved. But then we've got to work with them. We've got to grow with them. And he says, Baptizing. To me, that's entering into a covenant relationship with a body of believers. We are baptized showing that we believe Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We're also being baptized signaling that our old self has died and a new self has been raised. And that is a point of identification with this church family. You enter into church membership through baptism. Baptizing, being part of a, of a group, being part of something much bigger than ourselves. A covenant relationship with a local body of believers. And he says, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Teaching them. What do we teach them? We teach them the Word of God. We teach them what the Bible says. We teach them, as Jesus said, observe all that I've commanded you. What did Jesus command them? 
He gave them the ordinances. Baptize. Give them the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. You can't have a church unless there's preaching of the Word of God and observing of the ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We can't have a church without that. There is no such thing as a church without preaching the Word and without the observing of the ordinances. And then finally, Jesus said, verse 20, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's with us. His gracious presence. That even though we, we stumble, even though we fall, even though as we, like Peter, fail sometimes, He doesn't give up on us. His gracious presence is always with us. And you know what? That presence encourages us. That, that presence empowers us. That presence ought to scare the dickens out of us. <laughs> that everything we do as a church, Jesus is there. The Spirit of Christ is here right now. Are we giving Him the glory He deserves? Are we viewing Him as holy? Or are we treating the things of God with contempt? Are we going through the motions without being truly engaged? Jesus is here, folks. He's with us. Do we worship in that way? Do we welcome in that way? So those are His purposes for us. Love God. Love people. Fulfill the Great Commission. Make disciples. Bring them into the church fellowship where they can be taught and where they can worship and fear the Lord. Jesus gave us purposes. The next question we might ask is, how do we do this? And, and where do we do this? Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's our final scripture this morning. Acts 1, 8. Now these are the last words of Christ to His disciples immediately before He ascends to heaven. He tells them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be My witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. First question, how do we fulfill the great commission how do we obey the great commandments number one be a spiritual witness for him it's where it all begins Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you cannot and we cannot as a church love God with all of our heart soul mind and strength unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit we cannot as a church love our neighbors as ourselves unless we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit we as a church cannot go into the world and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded unless we are first filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to be saved and sealed. You've got to be sanctified. You've got to be growing in the faith and let the power of the Holy Spirit work in your life individually and collectively as a church. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things. We are to be a spiritual witness for Him. And then we are to be a local witness for Him. He says to them, You receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. That's where they resided. That's where they lived. That's where their families were. That was the, the community in which they were surrounded by. Locally. For us. Pilot View. Winchester. Clark County. Maybe spilling over into Powell County. Montgomery County. We are to be a local witness for Jesus. Our church, 
ought to be telling everybody. That's what a witness does. They testify about what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. And we as a church ought to be doing that locally. Because Jesus said so. That's why He gave us the Spirit to do that. A local witness, a regional witness. He said both in Jerusalem and Judea. Judea was the, 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 the surrounding territory in which they resided. For us, we would consider Kentucky. We ought to be a witness for Jesus in our state. It doesn't stop there. He goes on further and says, in Samaria, the circle of influence grows out from there. We would consider North America nationally. Finally, globally. Be a global witness for Jesus. He says, even to the remotest part of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. The influence of the church, the witness of the church, is supposed to impact its community, its region, its nation, impact the world. We don't have a choice in which one of those we do. We say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about the world until... uh, finish the job here locally. Guess what? It ain't going to be finished locally until Jesus comes back. But we don't limit the gospel here. There's people all around us. That's why we participate in the cooperative program. We give uh, over 10% of our offerings to the Southern Baptist Convention so that witnesses and, and so that missionaries can be funded and supported to reach Kentucky, North America, and the world. We pray for missions. We are called to go participate in missions. Why not? We can think of all these reasons. Well, I can't do it because of this, because of that, because of that, because of that. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Are we? Are you? Are you testifying? Speaking about what Christ has done? What you've seen, what you've heard? Jesus gave us a plan with these purposes. We are to be His witnesses. And without the Holy Spirit's help, we're going to fail. That's why we need to be saved. That's why we need to be empowered, surrendered to the Holy Spirit. We think about the purpose of the church. Listen to this quote by a man named Aubrey Malfers. He says, The typical church in America is like a sailboat without a rudder drifting aimlessly in the ocean. Could you imagine a a sailboat with no rudder? You're at the mercy of the wind wherever it takes you. You can't steer it. And he says the typical church in North America is just like that. He says if that is not bad enough, the winds of change, the currents of postmodernism are relentlessly blowing and pulling the church even farther off course. How do we as a local body deal with that? How do we keep from being a ship a sailboat in the middle of the ocean with no rudder. We need to be directed. We need to be plugged in to what God says we ought to be doing. And in light of what we've just looked at this morning and all these scriptures, we are to glorify God. We are to fulfill the purposes Jesus gave us. We are to follow the plan He gave us. Pulling all of those things together, I've developed for us a mission statement that I hope will help keep us on target Our mission statement is this. Ephesus Baptist Church exists. Why? To glorify God. How? By obeying the great commandments 
and fulfilling the Great Commission where? In Winchester, Kentucky. But that's not it. And throughout the world. Ephesus Baptist Church exists to glorify God by obeying the Great Commandments and fulfilling the Great Commission in Winchester, Kentucky and throughout the world. I think that sums up everything that we've looked at in these scriptures this morning. We bring glory to God because He has saved us. We bring glory to God because He deserves it. How do we do it? By doing it the way He has prescribed. Jesus said the greatest commandments, love God and love people. If we love God and we love people, then we're going to be on mission for Him to make disciples who will then make other disciples. And we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go, locally, regionally, nationally, globally. That's why our church exists. We are to make a difference for the kingdom of God in these ways. So I summarize it all like this. If we want to think of three things, we are to glorify God the Father by obeying God the Son and the power of God the Holy Spirit. It sums up everything we ought to do as an individual Christian, everything we ought to do as a church. Glorify God the Father by obeying God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. Or if you want to condense it even further, two things. Know God and make Him known. Glorify God by knowing Him and making Him known. So I ask you this morning, first of all, do you know God? Do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Do you love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And you cannot do that unless you're first saved. Unless you first acknowledge that you are a sinner and you do not deserve a relationship with God who has created you, but this God loves you so much. He's provided a way for all of your sins to be forgiven. He has provided a way for you to have a relationship with Him, no strings attached. And you come to Him on His terms by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus for you, by trusting God's way is the only way, by turning from your own efforts to be good enough. You never will. But Christ was good enough for you and Christ is good enough for you. Christ will always be good enough for you. Your salvation is through Him and Him alone. Do you know God in that way? If not, today's the day to come to know Him. Do you make Him known is the next question. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you do that? Well, you love your neighbor like God loves you unconditionally. You love them in a way that leads them to the Lord. You love them in a way that that helps them achieve a higher plane in life that only comes through having a relationship with the Lord. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you make the Lord known through your lifestyle, through your, your, your words, your relationships with others, through your attendance at church and through your giving to the mission offerings? You're making Him known. 
Do you know him? Are you making him known? That's our purpose. To glorify God by obeying the great commandments, fulfilling the great commission in Winchester, Kentucky, throughout the world. Let's pray. Pray. Father, we come before